To have a good harvest, one must plant good seeds and must also use the right kind of fertilizer. The carrots have grown large and firm. How good they will taste. Welcome back to the Backyard Gardens Podcast, everybody. Batavia, are you excited for today's episode? All episodes I'm excited about equally. No, that is absolutely (laughs) not true. (laughs) There are subjects that for both of us that we like kick and scream all the way to the Mm -hmm. mic for. But this one in particular is going to be a good one. We put out uh, some a question on the Backyard Gardens Community Garden page on Facebook for people to give us their questions. And the specifics were questions that you feel like could benefit other people. And the listeners did not disappoint. And if you like, and we'll probably do this more often. So make sure that if you want to, you come over to Facebook and you join the Backyard Gardens Community Garden. Or you can join us. Or if you want to support us, you can join us on Apple subscriptions and Patreon. Check all that stuff out. Um, I just want to dive right into this. I'm really excited. And I know the first one's going to upset you a little bit, and that's okay. It could potentially. But Christina wants to know, are sunflowers pros, cons, friend, or foe? I'm getting a cold stare. So She's glaring right there was a delay. She doesn't like the faux part. Yeah, no. <laughs> I actually had someone recently, like this week, ask, why do people grow sunflowers? Like, you know, do, do pollinators like them? And it's funny because it's like... Can I answer for you? Yes, you can. Why not grow sunflowers? I know, right? There Stuffing it is. Stuffing down the freakiness <laughs> that sometimes I experience when looking at them. You know, kind of the, the pokiness that the seeds and, uh, you know. But anyway, beyond that, they're beautiful. Um, so I've only skimmed over they can help your soil. I don't know what the help is. Right. Like I, it's one I of do. those general like it's good for your soil. Um, so I'm going to put them in the faux. Do you want to elaborate? Oh, no, I'm not going to put them in the faux. Excuse me. I meant um, the, I meant the friend friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, they detoxify soil. That's it. That's what it's classified as. So don't don't. And ask me what that means, what the toxin would be that needs to be detoxified, because I don't know. I don't know if you could, like, you know, drop a hydrogen bomb and clean up nuclear waste with it. I don't know if that's the case, but I do know that it detoxifies soil. So if you're going to Google it, Google a little further into it um, about (laughs) what it'll detoxify. But I have seen in my area specifically, I saw it was a cornfield. And then all of a sudden this year, it's a sunflower field, mm, which mm-hmm. has not been the usual for the year. So they must mm-hmm. be trying to fix some kind of issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, pollinator friendly, obviously. What are some pros other than the beauty? Well, you know, obviously they are. I mean, you could use them um, for, to some degree for vertical gardening if you want to grow things that can trellis up sunflowers. Um, I think so. Beans is a good example. Um, mm-hmm. cucumbers. I had the few cucumbers that seem to be produced uh, in my garden this year. I have something that's set up as like a vertical trellis, but they seem to catch on to the sunflowers, you know, much easier and much more often. Um, so there's that. That's that combo. Um, generally, sunflowers in my garden self-seed based on all of the, you know, the creatures that come to visit yeah. and eat. 
and to that enter end. Enter a, a con. Hmm? <laughs> enter our first con. Yeah, yeah, they, there's that. They can make a real, okay, I'm not going to skip ahead. Last um, pro would be, you know, you can harvest them for food. Yeah. Most and varieties actually, will um, produce an edible seed. It will produce an edible seed, but it also produce a lot of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's a nutrient-dense uh, food. Obviously, that's a pro. Um, the biggest con that I can see, and truth be told, is I'm really bad at growing sunflowers, apparently. I kind of I start them, and then I just give up. Next year, I'm going to try and go a little bit harder. But um, I've grown them in the past, and this is when I lived up north and it wasn't so hot. And the biggest con that I have with them is that they just get so damn big. <laughs> and, you, you, you know, you got to either sometimes you have to stake them, you know, and that's a pain to me to stake a sunflower. <laughs> but the other thing for me in my area is like high winds and stuff. They'll just topple over. And then, I mean, you're SOL at that point. Yeah. You know, we've talked about on, um, on the show throughout the season about how many volunteer sunflowers I had and how gorgeous they are. And I've already started like in shifts cutting them down. Cause there's, I mean, we're talking probably, I don't know. They probably were like three dozen, you know, scattered about. Yeah. And, um, I probably have three that still have like vibrant flowers on them. And so it's like a ghost yeah. town. You know how things look in the fall. Um, uh, and all in all, the part about, you know, creating volunteers, like, it creates a mess. I've probably, from a maintenance perspective, because of the squirrels primarily, swept up more sunflower seeds, piles of sunflower seeds than anything else this year. But I don't mind because yeah. the beauty makes it worth its while. Yeah. And in, in the last con, we, we do have to move on because, you know, you and I can talk about mm-hmm. this for an hour and a half. Um, the last con that I would say is also like as a design perspective a couple sunflowers don't really do it in my mm-hmm. mind. You, mm-hmm. you really do need to have like a decent patch of them. And then you kind of need to have something in front of them to kind of block those tall stalks and stuff, which will also help with the windbreak against them. So it just gets a little bit complicated, but otherwise, I mean, I think they're a friend and the pros really kind of outweigh the cons as long as you can deal with mammals in your garden. Yep. Agreed. Okay. Jennifer wants to know, and this is a fun one. What do you find to be the most dependable veggies to grow year after year? You go first. Oh, see, that's that's not mm-hmm. fair. Ladies always first. <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to break it up by season real quick, and I'll give you two for each season. Oh, good grief. Okay. For... <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, this is a gardening podcast. Why not? In the fall and spring, which will be combined, it's going to be cabbage and... It's becoming rutabagas right now, so it kind of changes, but snow peas really take the, the cake for that. They're, like, dependable. I can always get them, to, even if I am getting 18th century doorknob cabbages. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the uh, previous spring. And then in the summer, I would say summer's tough, but it's going to be black-eyed peas, very dependable for me. And then I would have said green beans this year, but... That didn't work out for me. I would probably say my my, de- my determinant tomatoes are pretty dependable. Mm. But keyword is determinant. Okay. Yeah. How about yeah, you? It's yeah. a good note. So I'm going to do spring separately from fall um, just because you, I think, have a full spring and a full fall. And, you know, it's questionable every year whether or not <laughs> I'm going to have something specifically for fall. Uh, spring is going to be... 
um, collards and lettuce. And Mm -hmm. summer, it's going to be peppers and peppers. I mean, I think that's the most dependable thing in my garden um, that I've probably, looking back, never had issue with. You know, I would have said tomatoes if not for last year, but there's that. Um, and then fall, I'll say yeah, chard and peppers kale. in your garden. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I forgot about kale and collards. Those are pretty high up on the list as well for me. Mm-hmm. What I'm about, you know, the, did uh, you? Am I frozen? Did, We're having connection issues. Yeah. I don't know if you're talking, but if you're not talking, this <laughs> um, you root crops do you have any this for any season do you have one root crop that you'd say would be dependable that would be rutabaga mm-hmm. it's becoming rutabaga now it was radishes and stuff but we're kind of moving away from that mm-hmm. but radishes are you know they're so fast and so quick to grow they're pretty dependable as well yeah i was talking okay i was talking to a new gardener and you know talking about what could she grow this is more than a month ago what could she grow in spring excuse me, in fall in Chicago. And so I named some of the quick growing crops. I named radish. And I could appreciate that she was very, very realistic. She's like, I'm not going to eat radishes. You know, and so I wasn't like I was on a campaign to convince her. You know, But I know that it's a great feeling to see that thing grow so quickly. But also, you know, sometimes you have to have the d- discipline to say, no, thank you. Yeah, I mean, kudos to that individual because that is, I mean, how many people put something in their garden they just don't really even want it. They just mm-hmm. want to grow it and then it's wasted and it's just a whole thing. But it's your garden. You do what you want. Okay. Brad wants to know, and this is a tough one, how to manage jumping worms. And we're referring to the Asian jumping worm. Do you know anything about these, Batavia? No, I think when you reviewed these, you're like, oh no, I've got this covered. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah, I'll take over on this one. <laughs> so the Asian jumping worm and is... Keyword, invasive species from Asia. There's really no way to manage them right now. Because they're invasive, there is nothing. They don't have a natural predator here yet. Hopefully, there will be a predator that comes in that will prey on them. And what Asian, if you don't have Asian jumping worms and you go and you dig in your garden and your worms are flipping around and going crazy, those are Asian jumping worms. And they prey on your earthworms that we all love so much and really need. But they don't do the same thing as um, earthworms do. Basically, they just their excrement is just crumbled up. They'd crumble up your garden real bad. Mm -hmm. And there's real, I've seen a lot of things people do, you know, um, I saw something where somebody put mustard on their garden and there's another spice. I can't remember what it was, but they, they sprinkled it on the garden and they come up and you scoop them up, but you're basically fighting an uphill battle. It's something that you're going to have to deal with right now because they do not have a natural predator in the United States as of yet. And I discourage you to read about a natural predator and try and introduce it into your garden because then you can start a whole nother issue. Mm-hmm. So what we can do is you can you simply just add soil to your garden. You just replenish the soil. If you dig them up and you see them, remove them the best you can. But you're not going to go through and get them. They reproduce like crazy. It's not the end of the world, but it's not the greatest thing. You just kind of got to take care of it 
But unfortunately, there is absolutely no proven method to get rid of the Asian jumping worm right now. And I know this because every time I dig in my garden and they come up, I get a slew of comments on YouTube saying, hey, you've got Asian jumping worms. It's like, yeah, no, no, duh. <laughs> I see, I'm sitting here. I see them. And I've looked into it and I've read up on it a lot. And that's just the way an invasive species goes. If you want to eliminate the probability of it, of another invasive species coming in, then don't put dirt from Asia in your garden and, you know, be careful about what you plant and stuff like that. So there's all these different things that we can do, but for the most part, there's nothing you can do about Asian jumping worms right now. Maybe in about 15 years, you will be able to. Yeah. That's the interesting thing about kind of how long, um, how long it takes until it starts to take care of itself, so to speak. Yeah. Nature doesn't work on our timeline. We work on nature's timeline and it is a lot longer, everybody. Well done. All right. So we're going to move, we're going to move on from the Asian jumping worm because that makes me sad. Tiff wants to know which species of tomatoes are determinant and which are indeterminate. Now I had to clarify that and I asked her, I said, what do you mean by species? And she said, um, what varieties of tomato would be considered determinant and which would not be considered indeterminate? When ordering seeds, she's not sure to tell which varieties are which type. And do you have a favorite determinant or an indeterminate variety? There's so many varieties of tomatoes. You just got to read and the menus and the, um, the descriptions of them and they'll break them down and tell you. Didn't we, weren't we discussing this and we kind of, kind of figured out that it was mostly like paste type tomatoes are indeterminate or determinate? Yeah. Yeah. The, um, that's, they're definitely that's others. My but quick, for the most part. That would be part. my quick answer. And most times if you're dealing with a paste tomato, it's going to be a determinate. I said most times, um, and yeah. many, many others. And that may be why labeling isn't as easy. Like maybe that's why Trish is finding some difficulty identifying them because most of what she's looking at is likely indeterminate. And some seed sellers don't necessarily note that, you know, like almost almost a general if, assumption that you know it. Yeah. And I would I would say if your seed seller is not telling you if it's indeterminate or determinant, that you should probably go to a different seller. That's just me personally, because I when I'm picking something, I want to know, especially in my area where it really does matter which what I'm getting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I know there's like the as far as non-paste tomatoes that are determinant, there's like the red snapper is a uh, determinant. Now there's semi-determinant tomatoes. Are you familiar with these? Yeah, I've I've heard of them and I almost feel like everything that's in my garden is semi-determinant, but you know. Um, it's all it's, it's kind of like a mixed bag. Like it can fall in between the two and you can't classify it. Mhm. Mm-hmm. But as far as like an actual variety list, I don't think that it's possible for somebody to just spout them off. I think you really got to go through the menus. What do you think? Well, you know, speaking of, I'm looking at a, a seed seller online and list of determinate tomatoes. I actually searched it as extension for my like for an extension service. Um, and while I didn't find anything for that, I do have a seller that listed probably about eight or ten determinate tomatoes um so where's that and some of these are tomatoes that i've not necessarily heard of a lot of hybrids 
Yeah. And then, you, I mean, you get into the heirloom hybrid, all that uh. stuff. So the second part of our follow-up question is, what, do you, what are your favorite determinant to variety? Um, I, th- I think that the Roma, only because it's been so consistent, I really enjoy mm-hmm. the taste of um, the San Marzono, but they weren't, the size wasn't as to my liking, the size of the individual mm-hmm. tomatoes. I know that that's like, you know, um, the golden ticket for paste tomatoes, for sauce tomatoes. I have some tomato sauce on the stove right now, by the way. It's really low, just so you know. Don't let me forget. Okay. So if the house burns down, we know. <laughs> and um, and I thought the size of the Amish paste was great, but the one year that I grew them, um, the production just wasn't there, and it was very much a wild, still a wild growing plant, which wasn't ideal. I love the compactness of the Roma. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm going with. How about your indeterminate? You got to pick one. <laughs> I was gonna put me in a box, uh, pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for me, I don't have an, <clears throat> I don't have an indeterminate. They don't really grow well in my area, and as far as determinant goes, I typically grow Roma tomatoes. But next year, I'm going to try and step out of that, and I'll, I'll probably I'll still grow Romas, but I'm also going to try and grow the red snapper tomato as well. I've heard so many people talking about it. The seeds are expensive, but I'm going to try and get my hands on a few and just propagate the crap out of them to keep them going throughout the summer. Um, I have not, I think I've done an Amish paste before and my experience was the same with you as you. It's just a little wild. Mm-hmm. You know, you, it's hard, you know, it is what it is, but the Roma seems to consistently grow to about four feet tall yep. and about two, two and a half feet wide. Mm-hmm. Consistent. And they just the way that they um you can tell the plants life cycle based on where you're harvesting your tomatoes from so they start from the bottom and work mm-hmm. their way up really like textbook so it works out pretty mm-hmm. good i'm still doing my calculations on how many roma plants do i want to grow I'm, i pulled back on saying need to um, right. supply me with kind of my preserving needs. I don't, you know, to be quite frank, I could take or leave Aroma Fresh. Yeah, yeah, I know. Bruschetta. Yeah. And that's, I, that's pretty good. I mean, whatever. But, you know. <laughs> I can take or leave any tomato fresh. You're preaching to the yeah, choir. But, no, but besides that, I love a good fresh tomato. But I've never been... I honestly would never have grown Romas had it not been for the idea of, oh, that's what folks use, you know, a type of paste tomato that folks use for sauce. All right. Enough of tomatoes. We talk about tomatoes all the time. Adele wants to know info on green manures and how to use them and other ways of putting your gardens to bed for rest for the winter. They are in a location where it rarely snows. And so shout out to Adele. I believe I'm saying your name right because they are from Southeast England. Mm -hmm. And that being said, we are going to do, we're going to take this one and kind of do a whole episode about it because there's a lot more to, uh, you know, putting your garden to bed and green manures and stuff like that than we can really put into this episode. And they're going to start coming up periodically or right after this. So we'll get into these different 
uh, subjects and more in depth for some of these, but this is one of them. So thank you for your question. And you're just going to have to stay tuned because there's just way more than we can cover mm-hmm. briefly. Um, Michelle wrote companion planting and I wrote back and said, uh, anything specific about it. And she said, increased production. She has good luck with peppers and carrots. They both seem to do better together than apart. And are there any positive planting combos I'm missing out on? How can it increase odds versus pests? I've used companion planting with nasturtiums with zucchini and as planting blue Hubbard squash as a trap crop 10 feet away to help protect zucchini from squash vine borer. And it's been successful. Um, but this year she did have them succumb to the squash vine borer. This is another one that we're going to have to just break down. Companion planting is really complicated. Um, spoiler alert, it's a little bit overrated. Mm-hmm. But if you do choose to do so, you can definitely uh, find combinations that work for you. So we'll get into those in an in episode coming up soon, too. An episode coming near you. Yeah, I mean, we, we've we talked about companion plantings over the years, and I think that that's one of those things. I'm just going to say this bit about it, that you really have to consistently do to even be able to say, you know, at least that's what I feel about me and my space, consistently do it, you know, tomatoes and peppers consistently to say, all right, this works well, tomatoes, peppers separately to say that, you know, it works better when they're together. Yeah, it's it's hard because you can't I just want to reiterate that you can't just be like, I'm going to do it this year and then I'm not going to do it again. You kind of got to keep up with it. And I mean, as your garden moves around, as you rotate and stuff like that, then you kind of get into all that. So, you know, it's like I said, it's complicated, but I do know where you can get help with that. And that would be the planter app. And the reason why I bring that up is because the planter app is great, but companion planting is complicated and there's so many combinations you can do that it just kind of puts it right in your face Mm -hmm. Um, link is below to check that out and get a discount but it will help you with that as well because it's going to be really hard for us to sit here and just break down all of these so we'll probably end up breaking them down by family Mm -hmm. to an extent and popular crops but you can get in the weeds with it you know it's interesting (laughs) I've probably spent more time looking for uh, what what are the foes? What doesn't play well together? Um, then, yeah. then what does play well together? And it's interesting because yeah. I don't know if I've ever really suffered from, oh, these two plants hate each other. It should never be planted together. Like, I don't know if I've seen like suffering in what I'm growing. Although maybe I should look up sweet potatoes and cucumbers because these two things have not been friendly this year. Well, I know where to check, but let's hold that thought. Because I know us and we will go down that road right here, right now. And I don't want to do that. Um, Winter garden prep, same thing. We will get into it. Um, And it really in specific is how to overwinter um, beds. If you should treat in a way for common issues now before next season. So we're going to lump that in with it. And this was by Angie, by the way. Thank you very much. But um, again, it's just... It kind of it fits perfectly with that other one, so we'll get to that. And she's, by the way, she's in zone 6A slash B. She's literally on the line. Ha ha, she says. <laughs> I wonder what that's for. Who that's directed hey, to. Hey, neighbor. 
Uh, Samantha wants to know about composting. How should it be done as well as what can you actually get away with? Um, that's a tough one. So I asked her, I said, well, what are you trying to get away with? And says, I'm a terrible composter who follows none of the rules. I've been listening to the podcast for a while and haven't heard you cover this topic extensively yet. Maybe I missed it. You did miss it, but we're going to revisit this one as Mm -hmm. well because composting is a complicated one as well. Well, by the books, it's complicated. And to cover it extensively for Samantha and all the other people, we kind of need to get into it a little bit deeper. So, again, that one as well. I'd say the formula um, for composting at X percentage of this X. I don't think that that's the complicated bit. I do think, though, that um, I, I'm always curious about the quality of kind of homemade compost. You know, it's one of those things. It's kind of like you can look at if you get a soil drop and know that it's bad. Like most times you can look at like this soil is, you know, it's too dense. It's, you know, it's not retaining water. Like you could figure that out pretty quickly. But I wonder about when folks make their own compost, like, you know, it's said to be gold, but is it, is all gold created equally? We know that it's not, but yeah, we'll, we'll definitely no. dig into that. I actually had a it dream. Absolutely is not created I had a dream equally. that I was composting. Oh, there it is. And we're starting it, everybody. Mm-hmm. We're gonna if if Batavia starts at uh, composting, we're gonna credit Samantha for it because I clearly can't get her to do it. <laughs> All right, here's one we're gonna answer. Alex wants to know how many years of growing something do you think it takes to master it? Does it just depend on what you're growing, or do you think it's impossible to grow certain things in certain areas? I struggle with brassicas because they live in s- Southern Indiana, six B. What wait? What was his name again? <sighs> Alex. Can't believe you, you haven't DM'd me, Alex. right around the corner. Come on, Indiana. Now, you truly are a neighbor. Um. Oh, wait, 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 wait. And then Erica chimes in and says, expanding on this, how many years of trying something and failing until you give up? This question, this combo question has made me a little teary-eyed. Oh, wait, here's another one that follows <laughs> up on it. Clearly, this is important. <laughs> Carrots are really tough. I salute you. I saw an interesting method. There's somebody just saying, some, mm. you know, helping them with carrots. Mm. Um, there you go. Go for it. I, I think minimally three years. Um, to master something? Hmm? To master yeah, something? I think that you need three growing seasons. And when I say that, I mean, like, if you're growing it in the spring and the fall, like three springs and basically three falls, right? Don't don't start combining those because those are different growing experiences. Um, five feels a little long. I was just talking about this recently with my potatoes. Um, and I felt like, you know, I said five years, but it's actually only my fourth year growing. I, I haven't mastered it in four years. Yeah. I haven't consistently kind of taken a path either so i'm going to say three years you could feel really good about it i think if you're continually growing it year after year and not taking any breaks i don't know it could be as much as like five or six years before you really feel like you know you're the master of that domain what do you think uh you know mastering is is a very strong term Mm -hmm. and when i think of mastering something i think of like no matter what, I got this. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't matter what happens. I know how to treat it. I know how to handle it. I know what to do. I think 
I think he may be a little long, but I don't think that it's far off, and it could even be longer. And I, and I know my answer is not very clear, but there's all kinds of things that can happen. You could get one pest one year, one pest another year. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get all of these different things occur depending. And let's just assume that we're going to grow the same variety for all of those years. You know, the first year you kind of get how it grows a little bit and the harvesting of it. The second year you get a little bit better at that and you're treating a disease or a pest and, you know, the timeline in which it grows, the temperatures that it likes. There's so many different things. So I would say I would probably say three to five years as well. Now that I've talked myself into it, Um, that doesn't mean that you can't successfully grow, Mm -hmm. successfully grow it on the first Mm -hmm, year. mm -hmm. But I think it gets easier for you the more years you have in. And that's why a lot of people plant the same thing every year. I mean, you have staples in your garden that you grow, don't you? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, as you were talking, it felt like even the three to five seemed short because you're absolutely right. You could have a few years of no issues, you know, and then that fourth year you get an issue, then what? Now, I don't think that that necessarily discounts the experience you've gained, but this is another layer of it, you know, now. The benefit of being a gardener, I mean, there's so many, but one of the benefits of being a gardener is I would say often your experience with one plant when it comes to managing issues can be applied to another. Not always exactly the same, but, you know, some of your sense for it, you know, continues to develop. And, you know, it's not you're going to read the encyclopedia for every plant, every time you have some disease or, or, you know, in uh pest or so on. Now I do, I go straight to the internet and start looking up things when it comes to a plant. Like if I, I've never had issues with um, animals or bugs with chard as an example, kind of random, but, and if I did, I probably, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't. I probably would treat it in the same way that I treat anything else that's eating up leafy greens in my garden. So maybe I'll tuck my way out of that. Three to five years. Final answer, Bob. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, it, you just got to take it one step at a time and definitely don't jump in and out of it in one year. At least give it two seasons before you figure it out. Now, that being said, I'm on my fourth year of growing Brussels sprouts and I ain't giving up. We'll be having this same conversation in 10 years. I'm going to grow them every year until I get them. That's just all there is to it. So you know where I stand. Apologies. I'm having... We got to go back. Yeah, I'm having some work done here. And it's um, worked so much so where I'll need to grow so many more vegetables to to cover the cost of this. So it has to be done. (laughs) (laughs) So next year's garden is going (laughs) to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I do want... I think the only thing that I've backed away from where it's like, "Ah, I'm not going to try it again this year are things that I really wasn't crazy about growing to begin with. So maybe I got caught up in whatever the internet buzz was about a thing or I saw a cool seed package and it didn't do well. And I was kind of like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably the only thing I think. um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head like that. Uh, spinach is a good example of something that it's kind of an afterthought because it's it's never it, it, you feel like it would be easy to grow, but I've never had consistency when it comes year to year growing spinach, and I try to grow it every yeah. year one way or another. 
but you know, it's kind of like, oh, let me drop some seeds. Like I have some spinach to plant right now, some winter spinach. So that's maybe an example of something that, you know, I'm not giving up on it, but it's not like I have to, uh, it's not uh, Brussels sprouts to bend. It's not that for me. Ten years from now, she'll be having the same conversation. Everybody watch. Okay, Eric, we skipped you, Eric, and I'm I'm sorry. We're we're not gonna miss you. When and how often should I fertilize fall planted onions and garlic? And they are in zone eight A in North Texas. I feel like do are you? Wasn't this a question of the day? Probably, but we're gonna do okay. it again. Um, just to be nice. It probably wasn't specifically about fertilizing. No, I think it was planting garlic. Um, I can take this one. I can take the garlic if you take the onions. Okay, we'll go with the garlic then. Well, hold on. Wait, let me say this first. In 8A North Texas, the zone doesn't mean anything. It depends on your temperatures overall. The zone just tells us how low the temperatures can get. For zone 8A, I can tell you that you're not going to get low enough to kill them. Mm -hmm. So you can start planting them in the fall. That being said, Batavia, take it away. Well, what is it? The stratification process that that garlic, if you plant it in the ground, wouldn't go through. So you can, you could do things like put it in the refrigerator for a period of time. So there is that also, um, eight a, since it will be growing, my answer for everybody else in cold, cold places would be you add some type of fertilizer, you know, just before you're planting or when you're planting and then you're done for the season. Um, I'd say for eight a, as it continually grows when you first plant. And then once you get to the point where you probably have about, I don't know, maybe six to eight inches of green growth on top, come back in and fertilize again. Um, and that could be with yeah. a granular fertilizer. I've taken two, it's messy as heck, but I've taken a using bone meal. Um, you may have some opinions about it, speaking to the listeners, but if you don't have any strong feelings about using it or not using it, that's been helpful because once I actually get that kind of side dressed, once that I have some green growth, I'm pretty much done for the season. Like when it comes to harvesting my gar, excuse me, um, fertilizing my garlic. That's weird. Yeah, it's one and, of the crops and, that I've like been consistent in when it comes to fertilizing. You know, I'm crying about fertilizing everything else. Yeah, I don't know why we didn't say this earlier, but garlic is a staple for me. It's crazy easy to grow. Um, but that being said, in zone 8A, and the reason why I say your zone doesn't matter, because, yeah, you could get down to like, you know, 15 degrees or whatever, but your overall temperatures, they may not ever get in, you know, in Texas, they may not ever get to... 28 degrees and that's just kind of part of it so when you plant your garlic it's going to continue to grow mm -hmm. right away that's the only caveat mm -hmm. there is, is it'll grow all winter um, onions when you plant those you want to feed them heavy with nitrogen heavy off jump street and then in, once they start getting some height on them keep doing it, keep feeding them nitrogen, 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 nitrogen. And then once they start to bulb, you stop feeding them completely. Just stop and then let them bulb. Because the more greens you have, the more onion you have. That being said, in a warmer zone like 8A or, you know, however your climate is, if you don't get as cold like with Batavia, as Batavia does where she is, you can... Um, 
You've got to be careful because if it's going to get a cold snap, you don't want to fertilize beforehand because you don't want to have new growth come mm-hmm. up and then get hit and by the frost. And, you know, fresh tender growth will get damaged by frost. And then you're kind of setting your plant back. So just be careful of that. Keep your eye on the weather. But um, onions, feed heavy. I am. Um, I'm at the end of my onions and... I feel like if I was on a reality TV show and, you know, like the camera's rolling all of the time, some of the moments that they'd highlight would be like the proud look on my face when I was cutting up onions to put it in a dish. So I've grown, attempted to grow onions many years and you you know the story around this and I've not had success and this is the first year I've deemed this as success and it has been one of the most satisfying things in the garden. So I appreciate the question, um, especially for those two crops and combining those two crops. Um, and so I, what I want to say is I encourage y'all, if you haven't already grown it in your garden, unless they're free at your grocery store. <laughs> yeah. You know, I know that, you know, some of these things are more reasonably priced than other things that you could buy. Um, definitely give it a whirl. All right. Moving on, Matt James, Matt, excuse me, didn't mean to say your last name, I apologize, uh, wants to know your meth- some methods of weed control. They had a crazy year this year. Mm-hmm. That's gonna, We're going to, man, I'm going to do you a favor and we're going to break that out into an episode coming soon because now is the time to get on top of it, Matt. And um, it's easier to take care of it in the fall than the spring. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of something that we can do moving forward. So, so we're going to, we're going to break that one. In, Cause we realize we've never even no. really talked about weed control I am, ever. I'm going to give you in this moment one right now, if you are at the point where your weeds have produced flowers, minimally cut the tops of those things off right now. Now, now. stop. Pause. Yeah. Pause. No, no, I know. I know. I know. I'm loving it too, but pause. <laughs> Get out there. <laughs> yeah. Cut them off now. Get your weed eater out and just zip them. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. But it's not... This is the perfect time to do it. And we're going to do an episode on it. And no matter what, you're going to be able to take care mm-hmm, of it. Mm-hmm. So don't yeah. worry. But just to, to clarify for those that maybe didn't get the connection, flowers will then ultimately turn into weed seeds. And every year I found myself pulling weeds there, I mean, there are different kinds, right? You know, but pulling types of weeds that produce these beautiful flowers, and then they're just seeds all over my garden. Uh, this year, I actually, by you know, based on the raccoon, yeah. I got ahead of it. <laughs> Isn't that something? <laughs> yeah, good for you. All right, Anna wants to know. Um, I'm in Texas, and due to climate changes, when is the best time for fall veggies? Summer came so fast, my onions, shallots, and potatoes burned up. Mm. Um, and then I asked, what's your last frost date? And said, used to be somewhere around March, April, but this year we went straight into hot weather. And then came back and said, uh, last frost date, approximately March 21st. This is a tough one. And I would love to do an episode about this, but Batavia doesn't really want to, and I respect that. Um, don't look at it as climate change. Climate change is different than weather cycles, okay? Climate change, global warming is what everybody refers to, thinks about when you say climate change, and that means hotter summers and colder winters. But we also know that the temperature is a cyclical thing, and there's a thing, and 
I'm not going to get into it right now, but I'm going to give you the data to look up. Read about La Nina and El Nino. We're going through an El Nino this year. We don't know how strong it's going to be, but it will affect your weather each time. And these are cycles within the earth and the ocean currents that create it. So don't think about it as climate change because, and the reason why I bring that up is I don't want you to think like, oh, it's always going to be warmer. It's always going to be warmer. And then the next year Mm -hmm. it doesn't get warm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The thing, the reason, and this is why our zones and our last frost dates change year after year or not year, but every couple of years they change it. Yeah. The reason why this one's difficult and, um, like it's, it's all, we almost have to pick like you know out of a, a magic you know um, you know fishbowl or something like all right these are four gardeners and you know this is the data from their gardens in their areas right you know because even with her providing and you asking her providing her average uh, you know last frost date when you're talking about going from winter to spring to summer I also need to know what were her average temps after that average last frost date, you know, so if the average last frost date compared to when was her average last frost, so there's that too. But if her average last frost date was March 29th, was she then immediately in the 70 degrees as a low and consistently in the 70 degrees for a low? Like that matters, right? You know, Um, and that's just an example. So that's the reason why it's super difficult to address something like that, especially in a climate that's so warm, like where she's at. Right. And I I will say this, um, you just do what most people do and count back six to eight weeks before your last frost date or first frost date, whichever one. And if you're scared, it's going to get hot, get ready to cover, you know, because if you plan it at the right time, you should be finishing up roughly around that time. Because I do this, it goes to the same thing here. I mean, one year we had a frost in, you know, the end of April. And then one year we didn't have a frost since February. It just it changes. It's a cycle, mm-hmm. so it goes back and forth. Um, I know it's not the answer you were looking for, but that's you got to go by what the data is giving you, unless you have the experience to go by. And so I would say you just count back six to eight weeks before. And it's been a while, but I'd also say check out timeanddate.com, the <laughs> the area of the website, one of my favorites, where you can actually look. Because what we remember and what actually happens, this happens to me every year. It's like, I remember it was like so cool this June. And like it really wasn't. It was the same temperature as it was the June before and the June before that. Yeah. You know, so a good resource, and especially going into, for you, you're still growing probably. Uh, but it's a good time to take a look and say, well, let's look at what the trends really were for these previous years and that could help inform you maybe it's actually you know eight weeks you know you could get out there and start planting your onions because you're cooler at this point of eight weeks and sure there's a little bit of risk there you know but generally you're not getting those frigid temps right and maybe you get ahead by even a couple of weeks Um, so this is where you really have to roll up your sleeves and and get things fine-tuned to your specific area yeah now, before we move on to the next one, I do need to take a second because we're dancing all around it and I need to tell you guys about the Planter app. All right. We've got a lot of questions so far. And to be honest, this app will help you through it. They're a longtime sponsor of the show, and that's for good reason because it's a great app. It helps you design your gardens, it tells you your f- companion plants, your faux plantings, combative planting, however you want to say it. You can design your garden, it's a drag and drop interface. It's 
so useful for all these. It tracks your dates, tells you when you can and can't plant certain crops for your area. It's got thousands of varieties of plants that you can put in. It's just, it's all around great. And a lot of these questions that we're going over, especially like we're coming up on a crop rotation one, mm-hmm. it's going to help you with that because you can refer to each one. That's exactly how I use it. Each year I go to the previous one and I look and see where everything was and I go back because as Batavia just said, your memory will f- will fail you essentially mm-hmm. and we'll trick ourselves, especially if you're somewhere cold and you don't really see your garden for a while. You don't know what's going on necessarily. So this is a good way to track it. You can use it on your phone, your tablet, your PC. Check out the link below and get a discount on it now. Use the discount. Mm-hmm. Save yourself some money so you can buy yourself those seeds so you can then begin to master those seeds and then work them into your plants or app designs and then you know how to do it. So check that out, all right? Now, oh, and it's available on Google and Apple Store. My bad. Uh, Kathleen wants to, says, I have spearmint in one of my beds. The last few years, I've just been letting it grow around the planted area and giving it a big chop, harvesting it down to the ground two to three times a year. Peppers seem to do great there, even when mint's popping up between Mm -hmm. them. This is my first year I tried onions and lettuce there, and it was a flop. Next year, I'll try brassicas. I've been thinking about adding the excess I don't use to my grass clippings as mulch, but I'm torn. How do I make sure it won't reroot in other beds? Okay. I can help you with that, but it's, it's tricky destroy it (laughs) uh so uh general for others listening you know if you have a few containers i prefer to grow things like mint any mint in a container i had a raised bed that um it's the raised bed that's the furthest in the backyard garden that's over near the wooden fence bin and i used to have mint there and one i planted it and i didn't realize that it would return in my area and i was so excited the next year when i'm like oh here it is and it just started encroaching on everything. Um, I almost had to empty like, a, you know, maybe a fourth of the soil out to get rid of it. Um, and generally, like she's describing, you know, some things did OK. Things that could get higher than the mint did, did OK. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't look for any root crops at all. If you're going to leave it in that bed, it's going to strangle those root crops, which, you know, it sounds like that's what happened this year. Um, I mean, evicted if, if you, you can. That's to, probably mine. If you want to add the excess that you don't use to your grass clippings as mulch, don't do that. You can compost no. it, but the only way you're going to get rid of it is if you get that compost hot and kill it. And, I, and it, it's so prolific that I would be very, very wary of that. I mean, if you really like your mint, I would just create a mint bed and just mm-hmm. say, this is where the mint's going to be and grow it. Uh, I respect that totally. It's great for using it for different things like tinctures and stuff like that. Um, but otherwise, you you can't just chop the leaves and put on because it Because if you put a stem on the ground, it's going to mm-hmm. root. It's just as bad as like the purple heart plant. Even if you were Terrible. to shred it, there's still going to there's still going to be enough stem and leave. I'm sure that something else is going to grow when you basically put it in somewhere else's mulch. Um, yeah, yeah. I I think um, you know it's it's a wild thing. <laughs> Let me sum it up for you before we move on to the next one. I had it in a bed. 
It didn't see it for two years, and now it's moved five feet over, and I haven't seen it at all. And every time I walk by it, I smell it. Mm-hmm. That's how it mm-hmm. works. So be, you have to clear it all out or just don't add it. Please don't add it because you're going to just end up with a mint farm, which is that's what you want to do. Great. Okay. Laura asked about crop rotation. When you year-round garden in 7B, is it sufficient enough to plant the same spaces but rotate via season, or is it crop rotation specific to season itself, i.e., no tomatoes in the same spot two summers in a row? And then also asks about cover crops. Um, Are there crops to plant that can boost the season's next growth that are plant-specific? i.e. soy and corn. All right, we're going to do a whole crop rotation episode. And that's all these episodes that we're announcing, they're coming up like in order, not in order, but they're coming up soon within the next couple months. Um, Starting not next week, but the week after. Next week, we're actually doing a review of the movie Poisoned that's on Netflix. So check that out. Uh, We just felt like it was a good conversation to have. But then after that, we are going to get into these. Crop rotations, one of them. And then we'll probably, we don't have it on the list for right now, but I want to do an episode about cover crops and I'm going to torture Batavia until she lets me. So keep an eye out for that. I'm, 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 I'm saying it right now and watch. She's going to glare at me. I promise you we're going to do a cover crop episode coming up. <laughs> <laughs> the manipulation. Mm-hmm. And she just sent me a note. If anybody um, wants to host the Backyard Gardens podcast with me, mm-hmm. just give me a call. Or I'm with joking. me. She Look, did not or send with me. That. me. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Steven wants to know, how can I organically and easily eliminate squash bugs from my garden? I have no squash, pumpkins, Korean melons, cucumbers, or watermelons left because of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then the um, creator of the planter app, Peter, chimed in and said, I had this problem the last few years and this too. Unfortunately, the answer for him was constant vigilance, looking under every leaf every time I visited the garden and squashing them manually and starting the plants inside and transplanting them once they were about four to six inches wide. Using these tactics, I was able to keep my plot under control this year while my neighbor's plot got decimated. Mm. So I know they were still there in full force. It was a lot of work. It may be not worth it, but that's what we do as gardeners. Ha, ha, ha. Funny guy. He's true. It's true, man. He's speaking truth. Um, Next year, he's going to try spraying BT to see if that works and can lessen the manual labor. Then I ask, what do you mean by organically? And Stephen says, non-pesticides. So, the truest organic method is exactly like Peter said, squashing them manually. That is the truest Mm -hmm organic method you can use tried and true every time you kill a plant you're taking or kill an animal a bug or pest you're taking it out of the um reproductive cycle plain and simple that being said i know people don't believe it but if you spray neem oil and bt it is organic and it will take care of your problems as well as long as you follow the directions for that it's not you know, going to eradicate it forever from your garden. You'll be back here next year, but that crop of vegetables um, will be recovered. Yeah, you have to, you have to get on a regimen 
for it. I mean, you don't have to just spray if you don't need to, but if you see it, you've got to spray and you've got to continue to get the eggs. And look, there is a whole thing out there about people who are just like, look, if you see something come out of a sprayer, it's automatically not organic. And that is absolutely not true. If it says organic on it, it's organic because remember, you can't just put the organic sign on there and have it be free. People pay a lot of money for that, like a lot of money. And BT is a naturally occurring enzyme and as is neem oil. So those are the two things that I use. And I've also tested out uh, pyrethrin oil, which is the oil of the mum flower, Mm -hmm. chrysanthemum. And that works as basically a broadcast um killer but the problem with that is even though it's organic it takes out the good guys too the neem and um, bt are selective about what they kill and i would try and discourage people from doing um, home remedies and stuff like that it's the science is not all there all right you ready yep Ellis wants to know steps to take care if you've had a particular issue in a bed, powdery mildew, fusarium rot, root knot nematodes, to improve the condition for next year. We're going to cover that in the winter prep. So just stay tuned for that. Um, Here's a fun one. Peter from the Planter app wants to know what are the favorite things to interplant and why? Your favorite things. He likes to plant onions and peppers in the same bed and it seems to work out great. Um, I did onions and peppers, basically. Well, I did onions and tomatoes and onions and peppers and onions and peppers did so much better. It also had something to do with kind of the orientation of the sun. You consider that Um, I gave the peppers and onions a bit more room than I did the peppers and tomato, excuse me, the onions and tomatoes. So I think they do okay. I think it's just about a spacing there. Um, Don't ever plant anything with sweet potatoes ever. Hard stop. No. Um, anything that is, I talked about um, divining things and um, to and sunflowers. Um, I've had really good luck in one bed that I have. Let's see, kale and Brussels sprouts in, which reminds me now I need to go out there and stake some things up. Um, but they play. They've played really, really well together. Um, and they're both plants that have basically been in my garden like the entire growing season. Mm-hmm. I had um, tomatoes and peppers have worked really well for me. Um, and then also on another season this year, I did lettuce and cabbage and that actually did really mm-hmm. good. I don't know if it was just the weather was right or what the situation was, because this year our spring was kind of prolonged a little mm-hmm. bit. It did eventually jump into summer, but it was a little bit longer. So we definitely had huge benefits from the cabbage and lettuce being planted together. I don't know how that worked or whatever, but that's something that I like to do. A couple of years ago, I... Um, I'm going to do it again. I can tell you that. A couple of years ago, I did um, potatoes, white potatoes and corn in the same bed. Um, And so I ended up doing... There was some logic to it. Corn was in the center, so I could plant it in the cluster. And then the potatoes were basically around the corn. And that worked out well. Okay. Sweet Interesting. corn. Interesting. For what it's worth. Sweet corn. Yeah, I don't know that it, it matters, but. I don't know if it matters either. <laughs> um, I've also done corn, um, so cabbage and carrots. 
Uh oh. Did that work out well? Well, not just now on the podcast because we had a delay and that whole bit was just <laughs> us over talking each other. So apologies, guys. Um, so I said corn and cabbage. As long as you give the the both plants enough space in between, they worked out well for me last year. I think. What did I say? Corn oh, and I cabbage. That. No, it did work out carrots good. and cabbage is what I meant. Yeah. That's that's what I thought. Yeah, carrots and cabbage. I remember you getting a pretty good carrot harvest mm-hmm. out of that. You had a beautiful carrot last year, man. I was so jealous. Yeah, man. And that made me mad. Guess what? I was flaunting it far too much because this year, womp, womp, womp. Yeah, it happens. All right. Juliana wants to know what podcast websites, blogs, resources, Instagram accounts have you found helpful to expand your gardening knowledge? Yes, my extension service, but what social media has been helpful? Um, that's a tough one. And I'm going to be completely honest. I have not found a social media account that has been helpful to me. I have found social media accounts that have steered me in the wrong direction. I have found social media accounts that are not relevant to my area and to my growing styles. But that is something that I have not had any luck with. How about you? So um, not recently, not in recent years, but maybe about six, seven, eight years ago. Gosh, it's been that long now that I'm thinking about it. When I was really trying to expand from growing the things I had typically grown. So like beyond the summer crops, like your tomatoes and your peppers and your cucumbers. When I was starting to expand, I was searching out Chicago gardens on YouTube, Chicago gardeners on YouTube. Like I wanted someone that was growing in my area. So not only could I see what their garden looked like, I could see what they were growing and when. Um, so I think it's not for me. I, I can't necessarily recommend channels. I mean, Sandy Bottom Homestead, they're doing some pretty good stuff over yeah. there. Uh, but I wouldn't necessarily say these are the channels or the Instagram pages and such. Um, but instead, I'd say look for someone starting with someone that's local. Um, and then if you want like the gentleman that was over in Indiana, like if he was on YouTube, I'd check out what he was doing because, again, we we're growing in generally the same climate. Um and I think that's yeah, probably most helpful, especially if you're looking to learn some different things about growing in your own garden. Yeah, and I, I don't think you should look at it as far as like your town or whatever, but your region, regional. You know what I mean? Like I, when I watch stuff, I watch for stuff for people more southern. Like I watch Batavia's channel, and it's good, but her growing has cannot help me in any way because it's so different. She, I mean, she's harvesting cabbages when I can't even spell cabbage anymore. It's been so long since I've seen one. Mm -hmm. So it's just so different. And the problem is when I look at that, not knowing the difference, Mm -hmm. then I look at it and say like, Hey, there's, you know, I could do this now. And then I just set myself up for failure. But what has helped and uh, we podcasts, Backyard Gardens podcast, baby. That's all I got to say. We got you covered. Two different zones. Uh, as far as websites go, there are a couple websites that I use, and I don't typically go for them directly. But when I see them, especially like how to grow like certain plants to get a good indication, I use um, Spruce mm-hmm. is a good website that I use. They typically have not steered me in a terrible direction. Um I can't think of any other websites off the top of my head. I can, but it's not directly tied to gardening and it's more of preserving healthy canning. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's a Canada based website. They take a lot of the 
uh, verified and tested recipes like from your balls and other, um, you know, you know, canning books and preserving books. And they break those instructions down a little bit further. So that's not directly what she asked, but that definitely is a website that I'm, you know, it's probably up on my my uh, phone right now as far as my search engine. Um, I do think that going back to sometimes Instagram pages and YouTube, some of it's personality, right? You know, so mm-hmm. um, while there, it's like almost the bit of garden entertainment, <laughs> you know, yeah. which we've, I think, been coined sometimes as that as well. Um, so it may be the thing they're talking about, like, like someone's planting, I, I heard someone talk about a winter garden this week. And I thought immediately about young Ben here and, that's like not even in a Chicago gardener's vocabulary, you know, <laughs> like, like yeah. none of that applies. Now, again, I, I do have a, at least one uh, gardener that I followed that did absolutely have a garden that still had food that was alive in the winter. But that's not exactly a winter garden, you know. So. No, and I mean it's tough, and I mean th- those become eye candy when you're watching something that you just mm-hmm. can't do. Like I'll turn on Batavia's channel and watch her cabbages and just dream mm-hmm. about growing mm-hmm. cabbages. Now I can tell you, which um, wasn't really covered or asked about, were books. Mm-hmm. Books are important, and I know people are like, "Oh no, I, I want to do the easy, cheap, free way." Books are important because. You know, when we got started gardening, we're going to take it back. There wasn't a lot of social media at the time, and it definitely wasn't geared like it is now. And by reading these books, you were able to build a base knowledge. And by building a base knowledge, then you can go in and watch these things and have an educated experience. You know, Um, there's a website that comes out for growing vegetables in North Carolina. I'm not going to call them out, but it is the absolute worst website I've ever read in my life. It's all completely 100% wrong. I mean, it's telling you when to plant things at the worst possible times. And it doesn't, it doesn't help me, but I have that knowledge because I read these Mm -hmm, books, mm -hmm. you know, so, and these books are, you know, gardening and farming has been around for a millennia. All of this knowledge is there and you, you can even go to the library and get them for free. You know, you could probably download them on your Kindle Unlimited for free or Prime Reading or whatever and get them and get them, you know, buy used books, stuff like that. But these things really helpful and it's old school, but it's there for a reason because you've got to build your base knowledge so then you can get through all the other mm-hmm. stuff. That's super mm-hmm. important. And I can't express that enough. Are we good on that one? Yep. Booyah. All right. Carrie wants to know the benefits of growing herbs in your garden, not only their beauty and culinary uses, but their ability to attract beneficial insects and repel unwanted pests at the same time. Wait, is there a question there or is she just, uh, it sounds like she's. She wants to know the benefits. Oh, those are the benefits. No, um, I I think that there's um, a scent. Um, Mm -hmm. I had someone that walked by my garden earlier this spring and was like, are you growing cilantro? And it's so funny because it hit, I didn't even smell it. Like it, you know, you get used to a certain smell, but as soon as she said it, I took a stop for a second. I'm like, absolutely. I smell it. It was volunteer from, you know, all of the seeds that have dropped last year. Um, So I I think different scents. I think there's some level of diversity. Those are two benefits um, beyond all of the things you can do with those herbs. 
The scent's an important one because that will actually help repel deer. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I learned this year because of my bees, I went to my neighbor's garden and they had basil planted. Mm-hmm. And you know, basil bolts easily. Yep. And I had been curious about where my bees were going. Now, this year, I grew purple basil, which was more resistant to bolting. Oh, really? If you're interested, yeah. Um, and she had just, you know, a green basil full of flowers. Man, it was covered in my bees. Like, I walked in there, and I'm like, look, there's my bees. There's my bees. And they're like, how do you know they're your bees? I'm like, well, these are the honeybees. <laughs> and I could tell by the color pollen they were bringing back, because now I'm having to be an expert in that. <laughs> so, there is definitely a part of that that's very important as far as attracting beneficial insects and then the scent for repelling deer um and people are like well, how does that repel deer well deer are blind basically that's why you wear hunter orange and you don't scare them but they are really sensitive to smell and so when they get up to it and they smell it they will back away because then that will make them more susceptible to a predator to be smelled so they will back away from it. Now, that does one plant help? Not necessarily. You may need like a hedge of them or something, but that can definitely help. As far as repelling unwanted pests other than like mammals and stuff, I'm not completely sure about that. I'm going to be totally honest. I don't see any downfall in growing herbs, though. No, I think that was in the early days when we talked about this. That was your recommendation for the, the beginner gardener. Um, I think that beyond mint... And there are a couple of others that are invasive. Um, plant more than you think you're going to need for herbs. Yeah. Always works out good. All right. Paige wants to know how to figure out how much to plant so there's enough ripe to preserve at one time. I'm in zone 7B, and this is my fourth year gardening and second year really trying to figure this out. It seems like I don't get enough to of any one thing at one time to can or batch freeze. And if I try to hold on to beans or peppers or tomatoes until I get enough, the quality is questionable. It feels somewhat overwhelming. And I can't tell you how many hours I spend with a full basket of mixed garden goodies pursuing UGA's so easy to preserve book only to feel like the book was named rather optimistically. Hashtag not so easy. Go ahead, Batavia. I drugged that one out for you. <laughs> you are my... Your hand was hovering. My spirit gardener, Paige. Oh, dear goodness. Oh, I don't have an answer for you. I've, <laughs> I and do. And we're going to do an episode specifically on this, but this is probably one of my top garden quests. Probably right next to, or maybe just under, growing things in smaller spaces. Um, I mean, it's... Clearly, I'm Paige. I mean, that's really the secret here, that I wrote this. A lot of people are Paige. A lot of people are. This is a this is a mm-hmm. tough one, and I, I understand why. So, first of all, we're doing a whole episode on this because I figured it out within reason. Um, I've secretly, over the past couple years, been trying to figure this out, and um, it's complicated, but it's not complicated. But this kind of feeds into the other question of how many years does it take to master something? Mm -hmm. And the amount that you're going to get off of a plant, that's what helps you as well in this quest to figure this out. He told me what he had figured out. And let's just say we still have some work to do. (laughs) You think so? Yes, I think so. so. I feel like I got it figured out. No, (laughs) I don't have it figured out, but I definitely have a starting off point. Mm -hmm. But it's not something. I mean, we're already over in our time as it is. But um, it is a tough one. 
and it is I feel like it is if you're on the side of preserving it is one of the top most mm-hmm. asked questions mm-hmm. as far as growing and preserving and our final one is a list of vegetables to not plant together or after each other this is basically going to go into our companion planting mm-hmm. So we're going to, we'll cover that one on its own. That being said, I do have one Spotify question that I want to talk about to finish up the day. This is a good one. All right. So this is, um, don't wait to plant your time sensitive vegetables and Victoria writes WTF question mark exclamation point please just say which zone each of you are in victoria if you would have asked nicely we would have told you but that's not how you communicate with people okay you've got to be respectful on this platform and really should be respectful in life we say it regularly and if we missed it we do apologize and because of your answer you're going to have to go back if you care so and listen to the episodes to figure out what zone we're in or you can't listen at all. It doesn't matter to us. But thank you for writing into us. It's not bail worthy. It's not bail worthy. It's not bail worthy. No. I mean, it's you know, it's just. Um, what do you mean? You know, one of uh, I'm going to say this, and you and I talked about this when it comes to YouTube, and it's a little bit different because you are, we are, anyone that's on YouTube covering any genre. You know, there's some um, exposure, right? You know, there is vulnerability, mm-hmm. right? And um, I have thick skin. I think you do as well. And because we have such kick butt listeners, such kick butt viewers on these different platforms, sometimes we're taken aback by uh, like general rudeness, right? You know, yeah. um, and. <laughs> I really want to say, well, maybe she didn't mean it that way, but it's really hard to interpret the way that she wrote that comment um, any other way. And we wouldn't normally spend even this much time on it. But this is just a reminder that, you know, we're your garden buddies, your garden pals, your garden friends, and we want you to treat us with the same respect. And I'm speaking to yep. anyone else that has the, the feeling that this person did. Um, let's just let's save your typing let's <laughs> yeah and i thought about it yep. like you know here we are there's going to be a nasty review and and so be it because i feel very strongly about us being able to stand up for ourselves yeah yeah if you give respect you'll get it but until then you're not going to get it but that being said everybody you guys had great questions and i really do appreciate it we both appreciate it even leonard appreciates it i think he learned something today no, he had to type out all defi- these questions that he wasn't happy about it. All the ones you're yeah. reading from, he had to type them up and group them and all of that. Nope. Yeah, but you guys, um, it's definitely eye-opening because, you know, we talk about a lot of things and it is definitely hard to come up with a list of things to talk about throughout the year. But this gave us some insight into what you guys are wanting to know 
And it's interesting because we definitely got some episodes out of it that we felt like as we were reading them would really benefit the community as a whole, not to mention ourselves because it's a good reminder. And a lot of them were very seasonal specific Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, what to do now and coming up season. So we'll we'll plan probably to ask another round of these, you know, come around springish time um just if you're not a member of the backyard gardens community garden then definitely go over there and check it out because we will ask you guys there and um all questions are welcome i mean we did not eliminate any question even the one there was a couple that we didn't really want to talk about because they're just honestly they were kind of hard to talk Mm -hmm. about but we still answered them um so definitely be sure to check that out but we we have a list coming up and we're going to kind of treat it as a like prep your garden series Mm -hmm. to finish out the year before we get into you know everybody's favorite time which is seed starting and the dreaming of spring which um let us know if you're sad about uh fall and winter now (laughs) because i'm i'm sad about winter coming i just got a text that said sunday is october the first wasn't it just January 1st when we were out? And I'm just like... Who sent you that This is one of my girlfriends. Tat. And I'm like, oh, okay. I reject the whole notion of <laughs> Sunday being October 1st. Nope. Nope. Look, I don't know about you, but I'm good all the way up until New Year's. And then after that, I'm like, all right, I'm ready. You know, because it's, it's busy. It's you got Halloween, Thanksgiving, blah, 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 all the way through. And then it's just cold mm-hmm. and sad. But everybody, we definitely accomplished one thing today. We continued to learn to grow and grow for change. See ya. Now you know why people feel like celebrating at harvest time. All over the world, people have feasting and good times when the crops have been gathered in. Thanks for checking out the show. If you like what we're doing and you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash backyard gardens, or you can be an Apple subscriber. And in both of those, you'll get an extra episode every month. You can also make a one-time PayPal donation with the link below. And you can get all kinds of gardening gear, like t-shirts and mugs and cups from the link below at Teespring. And we have an Amazon store, which has all the products that we use and recommend in our gardens and it helps support our show and we also add to this list periodically so be sure to check it out periodically to see if there's anything that you need for your garden everything that you do including a like and a subscribe and even a review will help us learn to grow and grow for change see ya